you expose people to this much risk for this long, um, you're going to get some, uh, you're going to get some normalization, some uh, homeostasisness. I'll go you a step further. You expose this many people to this much perception of risk for this long. Yeah, it's crazy, isn't it? <laughs> Everybody, pre-accident investigation podcast, Todd Conklin. How art thou? Oh man, am I excited about today? You could kind of tell there was a little teaser at the opening. You know, the opening blip of the podcast that kind of I always try to put a little hint about what's going to happen. Um, you know, if it works and clever and interesting, and this one was pretty clever and interesting today. Why not start 2022 with a conversation with our buddy Rob Fisher? Um, just because I don't talk to him enough. But it's not because I don't talk to him enough on the podcast, which I don't, but I don't talk to him enough as a human being. And I guess because we're far away, we're sort of on opposite coasts, if you consider the Rio Grande a coast. I mean, uh, you know, uh, I'm sort of mid-Southwest. He's definitely coastal, but we don't chat very much. And he was um, pretty excited about getting me on his his is intentional leadership podcast, which is a great one if you don't know it. And so I finally acquiesced and said, yes. Um, but it took a lot of leverage and blackmail and stuff like that, but he got me on. And as I always tend to kind of make the deal with you guys that if I'm on a podcast, then I'm going to actually clip what happened on the podcast and play it for you. And that way you get a chance to hear what I think was interesting in, in the broadcast. And you can hear what Rob thinks is interesting in the broadcast and compare between the two. That, that, that seems like that'd be a fun weekend activity. But it's, 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 always, it, it's always such a pleasure to sit and talk with Rob. He's just a, he's just a gentle, kind human being. And the world uh, needs more gentle, kind human beings. And we have a long history. I mean, just a long, long history. We talk about that, as a matter of fact. And so there's a certain amount of comfort and familiarity uh, between us that just exists because we've known each other for a long time. And I would suggest part of what's interesting about that, at, at least from my standpoint, is that we sh we have a sense of shared struggle because we sort of went on this voyage together. And so... We definitely remember the times when you would go to a meeting and offer these new ideas and be pretty much unanimously voted off the island and asked to leave. And that's stupid and what's wrong with you? And that's, you know, we got to hold people accountable and discipline is the best tool to manage safety. And you, you remember those days. I mean, those, those days, remember, they, they were pretty strong. And it was a big part of that discussion. And so I guess we had each other to lean on and some other cats too, Shane and Tony. I mean, there's a, there's a gang of us, at least in North America, that we just have a sense of shared history and it's kind of fun to get back together. And I think it's fun to share it with you guys too, because it gives you a little bit of background and depth. And uh, one of the things that I hope you understand and listen to or hear, maybe hear is a better word than listen to sounds kind of bossy, is the the is it is it fear the 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 fear we had 
the lack of confidence is maybe a better word than fear, but the the lack of confidence we had early on that this was we were talking about the right things and we were talking about it in the right way and we were doing things uh, you know to actually make the world a better place. And it's really interesting because we had we had Jim Reason's book books really book um, at the time, and then pretty early on we had the first Sidney Decker book, The Field Guide to Understanding Human Error, which if you guys have seen it, the the very first copy of that had a red and black cover and was about maybe 150 pages, I'm guessing that. but And it was a really clean little book. And those were, to a great extent, our guiding documents initially. Then we started picking up on, uh, you know, this This was pretty early, but we started reading other sources, certainly in organizational psychology, uh, resilience engineering. All this was pretty new. Um, high reliability was a part of that discussion. And all of those things kind of morphed together to help us build a foundation upon which our organizations were interested in, in moving the direction of operational safety. And so that was kind of a cool part of how we did it. And we had each other's resources and it was really non-competitive. It's still, I mean, it still feels pretty non-competitive to me at this point, but we could, we could draw on each other and oftentimes ask questions. What does this mean? What are we saying? And one of the things that I'll never really forget and always kind of cherish is that we helped success happened in each other's organizations because, you know, you can't be a prophet in your own country. And so it's hard to talk about these new ideas in an organization in which you're a part of the organization because they're used to your crap and they can easily sort of discredit you because, you know, you're there every day, but we could bring each other into our organizations and they could hear this message come from another place, uh, another voice and it was really helpful. I mean, especially helpful in shifting kind of senior leaders. That was a that was an impactful part of what we did, and pretty fun. I mean, it was a good time. Ultimately, that's kind of what this conversation's about. Is is we're sort of moving in there, and we're going to talk a little bit about the idea that leadership response makes a difference. It's it's vitally important. It's it's one of the big three levers, and I'll talk more about these big three levers a lot. In fact, I've got a series of podcasts that you're going to get to hear because, well, I'm sharing them with you on this idea of these big three levers, the the the, the three levers that seem to have the most potential. And, and one of those three levels is that management's response component. And so maybe this is the beginning of that, although you'll hear more about it as we progress. Let's see. What else? Well, you know, 22's ripping and rolling. There's no question about that. And um, I don't know how to predict what the future looks like because uncertainty is uncertain. And we've got this really chronic exposure to uncertainty that we're all kind of dealing with in different ways. And that's pretty meaningful if you think about it. I I just hesitate to make any kind of predictions or guesses at all what the future is going to look like. But I think we keep marching ahead as effectively as we possibly can and realize that the world is changing and that we're not going back to where we were. That's pretty obvious, it seems like. And so we have a little bit of determination about where we head. 
So that's exciting, I guess. I mean, that's one way to frame it. That seems to be the way to frame it to keep you most sane. The other thing is that Project X, get ready, because I'm relatively certain in the next week or so, uh, there's going to be a big, fat announcement that you'll be excited to hear, and then you will know what all this rigmarole is around this goofy Project X thing I keep talking about. I think you're going to like it. Actually, I'm pretty much willing to bet you're going to like it. It's 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 been a very interesting couple months on Project X because when two strong egos get together, uh, there's oftentimes a little bit of potential fireworks, but the payoff is there's also some potential um, benefits of the combination of diverse ideas coming together. And, and so that's a little teaser as to what you think Project X may be. You can, track it, you can take a guess if you want to. I mean, I'm wide open. You can put it in the comments and just guess away because I would be super interested in what you think. I should hush now because I've got quite a bit of Rob's podcast to play. And so I want you to listen to this and enjoy it. I mean, take your time, sit back, relax, have fun. This is our visit earlier this month. January of two, uh, 2022, and uh, a little snippet of the conversation we had around this idea of how leadership makes a difference. Enjoy. I don't know that people really know um, our, our background together and a lot of the things that we've done over the years. Oh, yeah. To me, it, you've always been that friend that from high school that uh, you get together and it's like, like we never left. You just pick back up. I agree with you. I think that's true. I think that's very true. It's fun. I never, did you think it would go this? I mean, did you ever imagine it would go like this? It would go this long or uh, uh, we'd still be talking about the same stuff. And not, not only did I not think it, you know, when, when I started the first company, there were people that pulled my wife off to the side and said, Two things, and we want to tell you this privately because we love you. He's not very good at this. <laughs> and that stuff he's talking about isn't going to last very long. So please, you and your family, don't pitch your wagon to this thing that, that he's doing. Can Is there any way we can talk you out of it? Isn't that funny? That's so funny to me. I don't know. I oh, just I never imagined it. I'm, I'm like you. Yeah, I was just, yeah. this is crazy. But I, I, think, I think one of the reasons why I didn't imagine it is because I think we expected that people would see what we saw so early on yeah. and take to it quickly like we did instead of us having to have some pretty torturous exchanges over the years. I, I agree with you. In fact, I think that's exactly right, that I always imagined there'd be a, a million of us and, yep. and that it was just a matter of time, especially in the early days, when people would come along and sort of we we would become a part of a larger and larger and larger and larger group of a cadre of people. I think that's yep. that's actually true. And and in a way, it's interesting to me that it took as long as it took to diffuse. Um, but I I think that's a little bit of old man talk on our part. Because I think it's diffusing really fast now. We were just really early adopters or or just yeah. we were there. We were there when everything was really green, and it scared people. Yeah, and, and you know, I, I take some personal accountability for maybe I wasn't 
presenting it the way that people needed to hear it to shift their paradigms back in the day. So I, uh, so I don't think so. I I think you've always been masterful in the way you present the material and masterful in your depth of knowledge. That's uh, never been your problem. Yeah, I'm sure you got other problems. We can talk about that on the uh, non-essential leadership cycle podcast, which is that's the X-rated version that Rob does. I don't know if you guys listen to it, but it's completely. Oh, I don't do version. You know, I'm you know. teasing. <laughs> yeah, as far as as far as you know. Um, <laughs> no, I, I I actually think it took a while to diffuse because organizations themselves didn't realize they needed it. If you really want my theory on this, and I have a theory on this, is that I think the prevention bias has probably been what slowed diffusion of these ideas down more than anything else on earth. It's the belief that every accident is preventable. And we really hammered, I'm mean, not we, but our companies really hammered that message hard. And yeah. if you believe everything is preventable, then you're always going to, when something bad happens, you're always going to think, well, it happened because we failed to prevent it. And, and that means that all these ideas in human performance aren't as important because we've got to get better at preventing things. That's my theory. Yeah. I, I think, I think that's part of it. And that ties into, you know, this, uh, thing that I'm on right now about leader response matters in that um, we, we've been out there telling people that, you know, that's not a positive or a negative leader response matters. And there's a period there, possibly an exclamation point, right? Maybe, but leader, leader response to success matters as much as leader response to failure. And in fact, you have hundreds and thousands of more opportunities to respond well as a leader to the successes or to the things that people do well than you do to, than you do when people fail. And that response is a deliberate strategy. I mean, and, and it's so important, I think. Well, so let me ask one question. Were you surprised that that fifth principle changed? To leader response matters? Yeah, or, yeah. yeah. Uh, no, I mean, that, that's what it needed to be. I, re I mean, I remember back in the days people were talking about uh, our reaction to failure matters. And, right having some pretty good conversations about we got to separate between a reaction and a response and the intentionality behind. Right. It. And I uh, think intentionality is a big deal to me. What's so interesting is the original, the, the original five principles, the Impo five didn't really talk very much about leadership response. Uh, in fact, it, it didn't talk about it at all. Yeah. And, well, that makes sense. <laughs> well, it, it kind of does. Well, right. I mean, because in the old days, the principles were really pointed at the workforce. Right. And so and that was still part of the old trap of the workers, the problem. And so if we make yeah. the workers better, if we make the workers safer, if we make them more obedient or more careful, they'll be um, safer. And we realized over time that, in fact, directing those principles at the workforce was kind of a mistake. I mean, really, they're they're not things workers need to do. They're things organizations need to be aware of. And so I thought the the move towards talking about this idea of intentional and deliberate response was really pretty profound. And I think in many ways, I mean, I shouldn't say this because this is controversial. I think it's maybe one of the most important of the five principles. Well, I, I don't know why that's controversial. That's uh, one of the most, if you strip it from hop, isn't our response one of the most important principles 
at all. Yeah, I mean, I, I agree with you. In life. But don't, but shouldn't you love all five principles equally? <laughs> I mean, like your children? Like you love all your children and grandchildren equally. <laughs> that's, yes. Here. Oh, wait. I'm, yeah. oh, I do. Hey, I do. the mic's on. The mic's on. Be careful. Yeah, sorry. Careful. Stop but, the board. Stop the board. Stop but, the board. But that, that idea that, that, that leadership is a deliberate intentional act is is a is pretty interesting to think about because not that people don't think that i think they think that but oftentimes organizations act as if events happen to them and so then leaders almost act like victims and that is unimpressive to me at every level it's also at least in my mind kind of fundamentally wrong that it, that in fact the the leader is not the victim of the event, the leader is the person who is um, sort of guiding the organization in which the event happened, and so right. their response to both positive and negative, to right and wrong, to good and bad, all the things that happen in an organization, those responses are really significant because the behavior um, that exists in the workplace is a function of the leadership response. Yeah. And so if you think about it from a sort of a cultural standpoint, it's a, it's a pretty powerful tool. Well, you know, one of the things that we've been saying for a long time, I mean, decades now, is that in order to move down this road, you have to change three things to get started. Leader knowledge, leader language, and leader behaviors. You change those three things, you got a shot. And I think early on, kind of to back something up that you were talking about a little while ago, I think in phase one of human performance, we were just able to get people to buy in that it was a worker thing. Right. And so, so they, you know, they bought in, but if in back in that day, we would have tried this holistic approach. I don't think it would have gone very far. Because first you had to get people to believe that there was some science and some principles behind this. So I really do think there's a, for lack of a better term that you might love, a hierarchy of controls <laughs> for, the, for the principles. In other words, if, if I can't get the leaders to change their knowledge, language, and behaviors, leader response really, really, really matters. Yeah, I agree. All the other ones are hard to fall into place. It's not, I think the, the message, it's not the last one. Right. I mean, that's a, that's a good way to say it because, because it is the fifth one. I suppose there's an implied notion that it's the last one, but they're all sort of, well, it's, it's interesting because there really is kind of an order, a pre, it, I wouldn't call it a hierarchy, but only just because I wouldn't call it, it's more of a prepotency. Like I remember when we started yeah. the journey, everything was about managing worker mistake, worker error. But then we realized at some point pretty early on that it really, if you're going to talk about worker error, you have to first talk about blame. Because blame has this really insipid power to make mistakes choices. And so when you blame somebody for making a mistake, you're saying the mistake is a choice. They should not have made that mistake. Why did they choose to make a mistake? Well, that's not how mistakes work. I mean, we can talk about that later, but but that that's pretty obvious. What's interesting to me is that the leadership component of this has become really everything. I a hundred percent agree with you. I couldn't be more in agreement with you that the best way to shift an organization 
and its culture is to shift the language that the leaders use to talk about the work. Right? That That's incredibly powerful. And one of the ways to help do that is by giving leaders different information. So if you want different leadership behavior, then give them different data. So instead of talking about all the bad things that happen, talk about the good things that happen. I mean, that's an easy example, but but there's there's lots of ways to look at and really help leaders understand that when something happens, there's that sacred moment, small s, sacred moment, where how they determine their intentional and deliberate response to that moment will set the path for the organization in the future. Yeah, that's exactly right. And we, you know, we, we kind of rob some things, no pun intended, obviously from, um, from some of the worker elements in, in giving leaders some tools of their own to manage that instant where they're, they have to turn their reaction into a response. And, you know, if you're going to ask a worker to say, um, you know, as we're preparing for this task, what's the worst thing that could happen and, and, or what bad things could go wrong? Why wouldn't a leader press their pause button and say, related to my response, what's the worst thing that can happen with this response? Right. That's, it's a pretty good idea, actually. And, uh, and, and what, uh, what bad things could go wrong. And what it does is it forces their brain to slow down and allow the intentionality instead of the reaction being instantaneous. But I think it's a second question that you ask after you press the pause button. The first question is what could go wrong. And then the second question, which I think is the profound question is, is okay, when that happens, because we don't have perfect systems, processes, practices, or people, when that thing goes wrong, what's my recovery strategy? How, how, right. How how much capacity do I have in this this conversation? How much capacity do I have in this system? How much capacity do I have in this work planning, et cetera, et cetera? Yeah. Those are all Im- important parts of that component. And all of it hinges directly around this idea that what leaders do matters. Matters. And, and that it's a I, – I say this all the time. It's a deliberate, intentional response yeah. that when something happens, y- you need to practice. I mean – and. And I asked that all the time. I just was, I was at a meeting earlier, or I guess later last week, because today's Monday, um, where they were talking about fatalities. And I, the last question I asked the group is, something bad will happen again, because it will. What's your leadership strategy for when it happens now? And, of course, the room was super quiet because nobody wants to have that conversation. But those are conversations you can have before the event. And those are decisions you can make for how you're going to intentionally and deliberately respond to whatever that failure looks like. In many ways, Rob, I think the pandemic has helped us. It's changed the conversations we have with leaders because leaders now understand something that they pretended to kind of understand earlier. So I think pre-pandemic, Leaders really believed that if they did a good job and made a strong strategic plan, stuck to that plan, and kind of kept the compass pointing north, the company would grow, prosper, and flourish. And then the pandemic happened, and they had to deal with the fact that uncertainty is, at the bottom line, uncertain. That's not the smartest thing I've ever said, but right. I mean, but, right? 
And that's really helped them understand that what they do as a leader is build capacity in a system for uncertainty. Yeah. And that, that's, a, that's a decision. I mean, that's a, that's a deliberate, intentional act. And that's really I, important. It is. Uh, you know, we, we shifted, and it was funny that it happened probably two years before the pandemic. We shifted to this intentional leadership set of concepts uh, because we, we needed to get the leaders bought in that direction. But I think the pandemic took VUCA from being a phrase and a catchy thing to something that people can understand how that impacts the way an organization either thrives or survives or, or is great. And the thing about the VUCA, because I think you're, you're right on talking. So the VUCA, so volatility, uncertainty, complexity, ambiguity, that's right. V-U-C-A, got that out there. We've talked about that for the last almost 30 years. So, right. so we know that systems have variability and that stability is not really stable and that uncertain events happen. We, I mean, we, that's what we talk about. And so we've always said you've got to build capacity in your organization. And when we say capacity, we're, we're talking about controls and barriers and safeguards, but we're also talking about leadership competency. I mean, that's a huge – Absolutely. That may be more important than controls, barriers, and safeguards. What's amazing to me about that – is that I think leaders thought they understood that leadership capacity component until it was tested. And then they realized that they didn't fully understand that leadership capacity component. I, I, to, the crack up to me, and this is the crack up, is I remember even as recently as a couple years ago, people honestly asking me, what do you mean when you say capacity? And then the pandemic happened, and nobody asked that question anymore. Every, everybody understands completely what we mean when we said capacity. I think, I think leaders, and now we're back to knowledge, language, and behaviors, right? I think neat leaders understood those things to the point that they thought they understood them. But they didn't know them. Yeah, that's probably they, fair. So, so, you know, they – all these places say they want to be a learning organization – well, you can't be a learning organization if you don't actually learn. I mean, if you, you, you can understand that there's a concept out there, but if you don't know how to use it, that that's like saying, well, okay, uh, you know, I took algebra and calculus in high school, but I'll never have to use it. We were having this conversation uh, in, in my family this weekend uh, that, that they were trying to understand something. I said, well, why don't you just use the Pythagorean theorem? Just find out how far it is across there and, you know, of course, one of them looked at me and says, I left algebra and that stuff behind geometry behind in high school. I figured I'd never use it again. I said, well, I use it every day. Yeah, surprise. <laughs> so that whole thing about understanding capacity, about understanding intentionality, they weren't using it every day. They had had somebody come in and talk to them about it and nodded their heads. Yeah, that's good stuff. We need to we need to put that in the way we talk. But it wasn't tested in the way it got tested over the last two years. Yeah, I think that's fair. And I think a part of it was they thought, that's good stuff. Our people need that. Yes. Oh, yeah, yeah, yeah. Our people being everyone except, except maybe, you know. Except, um, except us, right? Yeah. And, right? And you really saw that. I mean, you see that all the time. It's, it's amazing. Still to do. You. you really see it like when you do a big, horrible investigation. And you'll yeah. go in and talk to the senior team or the board of directors 
and there's a clear kind of us and them. And one of the things I do, um, which is not very pleasant, but I, I do it pretty aggressively is help them understand that they're, they, this is your problem. I mean, you know, you, you, a bad thing happened and you're the boss. Um, yeah, there's no turfing that down the chain. This is, this is your accident. And what are you going to do about it? And that's hard, but I think it helps him understand to a, a, a more complete degree the notion of intentionality, of being deliberate, of how they respond matters. It 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 makes a huge difference. It it, I mean, it's at the risk of saying the same crap over and over again, which is pretty much my career. If you look me up in Wikipedia, Our. yeah, um, that idea that what they say and do will set the course for what happens next. It, it it defines the culture of an organization. Stop talking about culture and start defining what leaders know, say, and do, and you'll and, and you'll have the right culture. I agree. I agree. And what's interesting is that you can help leaders respond by actually giving them information that encourages them to respond. So one of the most interesting experiments um, is a, a large company added one question to their kind of event review that went up to the senior leadership team. So they had a little formal kind of process to take near misses and close calls and accidents and injuries and all that kind of crap up to the, to the big boss office. And what they added was they added a line that says, um, did the safeguard function pretty simple little question and it was yes or no if yes they explained how it worked if no they explained what was missing that completely changed what leaders started asking about Yeah. instead of asking about the presence of risk they started really getting fixated on the presence of control and and they could understand that event that happened that didn't have a high consequence outcome didn't have a high consequence outcome because the safeguard functioned. Had right. the safeguard not functioned, this would have been really, really, really bad. And what's interesting is that little addition, which was simple, that changed what leaders knew, which then changed how leaders talked, which then ultimately changed what leaders were interested in. Right. Which changes their behavior. Right. Totally. Well, behavior, behavior is always a function of the, of the sort of the, the system, right? I mean, exactly. not capital S system, but system. So, right. so that idea that behavior is, so leadership behavior is a choice is a cute idea. And when we say words like deliberate and intentional, we're probably playing into this idea that if they just cared more and tried harder, they'd be better. But what we mean is that we we build systems and give data to each other that deliberately sets leaders up to be successful. Right. So instead of telling them this bad thing happened, right, which they'll know because that's not a surprise, we want to really say this is how this bad thing happened. And, yeah, and, and I've also started reminding these organizations that that do possess risk, that when you pull off something that you know is inherently risky, that's tough, that's difficult, 
it's great to sit down afterwards and say, how did we pull that off? Right. What is it that made it successful that we need to make sure we do in other things, similar things in the future? Where did we get close? And we got saved by one or two things. But having those discussions over over things that we know have, have risk um, that we do well is the only way to really capture that knowledge, especially when people are leaving left and right. So there you go. What do you think? I told you it was fun. It's, it's always fun. We had a great time. It was great talking to Rob. Okay, I'll let you rock it because we got to fly. Back to work. Back on your heads. Learn something new every single day. Have as much fun as you possibly can. Be kind to each other. Check in on one another, would you, por favor. And for goodness sakes, you guys, be safe. 